I'd like to ask you to open up your Bibles to the book of Malachi. Malachi chapter 3. It's the last book in the Old Testament. And Malachi is a prophet. Uh, It's probably the last book that was written chronologically in the Old Testament. There were two known contemporaries of Malachi, Ezra and Nehemiah. So they both, all three prophesied in the same time frame. But the events in Ezra that are recorded precede the events that happen in Nehemiah, and the events in Nehemiah precede the events that happen in Malachi. This took place roughly in the mid-400s B.C., then this closes out canon of the Old Testament. We have approximately a 400-year period of uh, history where God is not speaking through the prophets. There's no divine scriptures that are being revealed. And then Jesus comes along, obviously, and that opens up the way of the New Testament. And so um, let's read passages 6 through 12 and kind of begin to unpack. Verse 6. For I am the Lord, and I do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Yet from the days of your fathers, you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, in what way shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. See if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing for you, such that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sake so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Amen. Amen. So the the theme of this book of Malachi that's four chapters, you know, there's typically a resounding theme in the book. Some have several, but there's the theme in Malachi is returning to God, okay? Now, here's what's interesting. Think with me for a second. The people have already come back from Babylon. They've already returned from exile. In fact, the temple has been rebuilt under the leadership of Ezra and Zerubbabel, and now and the walls have been rebuilt around the city under the leadership of Nehemiah. And Malachi is saying, as the prophet of God, that God's word to the people is, return to me. Now, it's interesting because logistically, they have returned. Does that make sense? They're already back in the city, at the temple. They have all these things. So clearly, God's message, return to me, has nothing to do with their physical location. It has nothing to do with proximity. It has everything to do with where their hearts are positioned by way of surrender and obedience to God. 
and especially in these verses we read, in the area of tithes and offerings. You see, the people have gone through some difficulty, some hardship in this time. Here's what they've done, and this still happens today. They began to sort of rewrite their own narrative to adjust the ordinances and precepts of God to suit their situation and then justify that. And so what they've done is they have not honored God as he's instructed them in the area of tithing and in of offerings. So they've, they've sort of adjusted. Well, you, you know, we can't really do it right now. We got a lot going on. And then this is dangerous. They convinced themselves that it was okay to do it differently than the way God had already laid it out and ordained it. And so God's saying, you, you better return to me. I'm calling you back to me. Because in their heart, they were not fully submitted and surrendered to obeying God. You know there's no such thing as partial obedience, right? Partial or delayed obedience is the same thing as disobedience. And so God was saying, you're in the city, you're in the, the building and the temple and all of that, but listen, I am not there in, in the presence and power capacity that I want to be there. And folks, I have to wonder, I really do, I have to wonder, is this maybe what God is saying to the church today? You have buildings everywhere. Churches all over the place. Beautiful ones, in fact. All through America and almost every town, all kinds of different ones. But I wonder how many places is the unadulterated word of God truly being preached and taught, hearts being convicted, lives being changed, people surrendering, saying, I will obey your word, God, and then the power and presence of God is manifesting in that place in a way that's real and tangible and bringing community change all around that area being the wellspring flowing into the community, being the life change that it's meant to be. I have to wonder if maybe God is saying that today. They return physically, but God's saying, no, return to me with your heart. So I'm going to break down these passages here uh, that we read in Malachi, and I'm I have five points that we're going to take out of these passages, but I will only get to two of them today because I wanted to spend some time laying this foundation here. Um, and so as we go through these five points, I'm also going to share with you, because I think it's helpful, many of the things that I've heard over the years that are common objections or things that people struggle with around these particular areas, okay? So the first point, if you're taking notes, is there is a test. There is a test. You may have picked it up in those verses, or you may have heard this before. But God said in there, try me or test me in this thing. Now, I've studied the Bible for about 20 years. I know there's many people who've studied it much longer than me. But I have never seen in all of Scripture, you know where it exists and tell me, I have never seen anywhere else in all of Scripture 
where God makes this challenge. Test me. Never seen it. And I'll tell you, it's a test that we want to take up. Not every test is. Sometimes, I know that you find this hard to believe, but I can be a little bit of an aggravator sometimes. I know, it's, I know. Don't believe it. And I could kind of aggravate my wife a little bit. Playful, you know, a lot. Okay. And so every now and then, I'll go a little too far. And she'll say, do it again. <laughs> Try me. That is not a test that I want to make. But this one is. God says, test me in this. And what's interesting is I have seen so many people, I really love that God presents it this way because I've seen so many people through the years who've said, okay, pastor, I see it in scripture. My flesh is struggling with this, but I see it in scripture, so I'm going to step out in faith and I'm going to do what God is inviting me to do. I'm going to test him and I'm going to start tithing. And I have seen time and again where the blessings of God begin to flow into people's lives at a new level where that test moment actually leads to a testimony for them. And I encourage you, if God is inviting you to approach it this way, then approach it that way. Okay, God, I am going to do what you're saying. I'm going to test you. Your heart has to be right when you do it has to be like, I believe this is what your word says, so I'm going to do it. But you're, you're trusting that God will do what he says that he's going to do. And I promise you, he will, because he is always faithful. And what this does when we begin to make this shift is it settles this issue of ownership, okay? And that's a big one. We have to... We have to come to this place as God leads us through Scripture where we realize, I don't own anything. I am a steward. Now, I know language in our culture, I'm not like condemning that when we say, well, I own my car, I own my house and all. I'm not, you know, all bent out of shape on that. I'm just saying the real perspective that we need to have is that God owns it all. And we are, we are blessed to receive what he, even the breath in my lungs and the strength in my bones to do what he leads me to do every day. He gives me that. So he owns all of it. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. This is a really big deal because if he owns everything, then he's never running out of supply. He's never bounced a check. The issue is not with availability of supply. The issue is God saying, will you trust me? Will you put me first in this area of your life so that I can do what I say I'm going to do from there? It says that when we, when we bring the tithes, listen, it says we are returning them. That's important language. Return to me. Return the tithe to me. It's important because it says we never owned it to begin with. And we've got to settle that. God owns it. I, I don't. I'm just a steward, and I want to be a good one of that. 
But in order for God's covenant, this is a covenant of the tithe to be operable in my life, I have to trust him and obey his principles. Y'all know the Bible works that way, right? I mean, we would all say we want everybody to get to heaven, definitely. But there's a condition, isn't there? And it's Jesus. He's the way and the truth and the life. And I'm sorry, despite what ideology might suggest, if people don't give their hearts to Jesus and make them him their Lord and Savior, they will not get there. The Bible's clear. There are things we have to trust God in in order to see the promises that he offers us come to pass. So we are returning the tithe, and it's saying, God, I trust you as my provider. I don't trust myself. I believe that God is responsible for all of the provision that comes my way. I don't believe I'm responsible for that. It's, you see the difference in the thinking and the way we approach our daily lives when we look at it that way versus we're the source, we're the provider, we're the owner of anything, it changes the whole dynamic. So that's number one, is that there is a test. And God is interested, frankly, not in our money. We could settle that, can't we? If he owns it all, like he's not interested in the, the dollar amount. He's interested in our heart. He wants to be in throned in our hearts in first position. Oh, man. All right, hold on. I'm going to go there for a second. So he is preeminent. It's a nature or character attribute of God, which means he's first, foremost, and the highest up. Because of that, he will never be inconsistent with a character attribute, which means he cannot take second place in your heart. He just can't. He can only have first position. And when we settle this thing, what we're saying is, God, I'm putting you first in this area of my life. I'm trusting you to provide for me and to bless me with everything I need to do what you're calling me to do. Good place to say amen, right? All right. Uh, many times people will say things like, I can't afford to tithe, okay? I've heard that a lot. And again, we need to have a budget, right? We need to be good stewards of our finances. I mean, if you just have more going out than what's coming in, you've got problems. I mean, the Bible talks about that too. Don't be indebted to any man, which means don't be upside down because if you have owe more than what you have, you're a slave to that. In that time, they could enslave people for not paying. But you're still a slave whenever you are, have more going out than what's coming in. So we, we can help with those types of resources and principles. But when people say, I can't afford to tithe, for me personally, I would just say, I can't afford not to. I mean, I, just, I cannot afford not to because I know that God can and will do more with the 90% than I can ever do with the 100%. And I want his blessing on the 90%. So when the first fruit, the tithe or the first tenth is holy, when it's been consecrated and set aside to the Lord, it's his, then there is a blessing on the rest of the portion. 
And the first fruits are holy, the lump is holy. And I want that portion that God is allowing me to keep to have his blessing on it. And I'm just telling you, the Bible is clear. When we don't submit the tithe to him, that blessing of the covenant is not on the rest of the portion. That's the condition that God lays forth. People will sometimes say things like, well, you know, pastor, that's just not for today. That's the law. We're not under the law anymore. Okay, let's go there. Let's go there. Because there, okay, so there are different ways to interpret the Bible, different, different principles, rules that you have to adhere to when you interpret scripture, okay? One of those is contextual exegesis or interpretation. It means you look at the context of the situation. There are times where something is happening or being done purely because of the context of the situation, so if it were for an era or dispensation of time or one period, then that would be contextual but not wholly applicable throughout all of the Bible. Am I making sense, right? A good example would be like when Paul says at a time, have, have the women in the church keep silent, okay? Well, we know he said that. In the context of that situation, there were things that were happening with the churches in that city that needed rebuke, and that's why Paul brought that message. But throughout Scripture, we see that Deborah was a prophetess. We see that Miriam was a prophetess. We see many cases of women being used mightily in the church in the New Testament. So we could say, okay, this was a contextual situation. Tithing is not contextual because it exists all throughout Scripture from beginning to end. Therefore, it's not just something that was applicable only during an era of time. I'll prove that to you. In addition to the law that was given to Moses that Malachi is asking the people to honor and obey, we can go before the law was issued, precede that, back to Abel, who brought a first fruits offering. He brought the firstborn of his flock, which was the best, and he sacrificed that to God by faith to honor God and say, I believe, God, you'll keep that womb open and you'll continue to bring the rest of the blessing. Abel did that. Abraham tithed off the spoils of war in honor to what God had done, saying, I want to show my praise and worship and appreciation Jacob made a vow at Bethel that said, I vow anything and everything God brings me, I will give him a tithe of that, of all. Here's the important point why I went through all that. The law did not even exist yet. So the response of those men to God in the area of tithing was simply a response from their heart towards God of trust, of faith, and of worship. Are you hearing me? It wasn't because it was some law that they just had to obey. This is what I'm trying to get us to see, is this really is a heart issue. So then you go beyond all of that, and let's just look at what Jesus has to say. So now you've got the totality of Scripture in view here. Jesus, in Matthew 23, 23, says this, "'Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, "'for you pay tithe of mint, and anise and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. Those you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. So what is Jesus saying? He's saying right here, the words of our Messiah, he is saying that yes, you should continue to tithe. 
But there are many other things you're neglecting that are even weightier, and you should be doing those as well. They were all puffed up because they were big givers and tithers, and Jesus saying, yeah, you're doing that, but there's other issues that we need to address. But he was clear, you should still be doing that. Does that make sense? So we see, and in these verses that we opened in Malachi, what did he say? He said, I am the Lord, I do not change. So when we see a principle consistent throughout all of Scripture, you can bet that that is a principle that is applicable to us today in our lives and in our generation. Can anybody say amen to that? All right, point number two, there is instruction. There is instruction. And here's part of that. All increase is subject to the tithe. Because people will say, well, you know, I tithe off of my paycheck. Uh, Maybe not my spouse's. Or I tithe off my job, but, you know, I do freelance work and side projects and all that. I just don't really think that... God expects me to tithe off of that too. Well, let's just deal with that, okay? Because here's what the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of, what's that word? All your increase. So there's the condition and here's the blessing. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Leviticus 27.30 says, and all the tithe of the land whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, it is the Lord's, it is holy to the Lord. So all increase that comes to us by way of labor and work, increase that is provision that comes through, frankly, the Bible is clear, all of that is subject to the tithe. So we submit all of that so that God can put his hand of blessing on the rest of the portion. Another question people will say sometimes is, well, do you tithe off of the gross or off of the net? Okay, well, let's talk about that too, because the Bible is clear that the tithe is the first tenth. Does that make sense? So of the portion that comes that's increased, the tithe is not just 10%, it's the first 10% because it's the best portion in the eyes of God, and that's the portion that he says sanctify and set aside for me. So if we're tithing off of the net, this is real simple to figure out, then the government was actually first and God is second. I'm just trying to help us, right? I Look, the dollar difference is, makes no difference to me. I, it's, to me, it's following the principles and saying, I fully believe this stuff, and I'm going to live this way. Listen to what he says here in, uh, where do we go here? In Deuteronomy chapter 26, verse 13, listen, he says, and then you shall say before the Lord your God, I have removed the sacred portion of my house. So what the response is, is saying, I've taken the first 10% and I have set it aside entirely for God because it's the best portion for him. What they never did with their tithes or their first fruits, they never gathered it and parked it in a grain silo for an emergency situation until 
They knew that they had everything else they needed and then go take that tithe into the temple. That's part of, if that's the way we think, then we're missing something about the principle. It's the first tenth. God says it very clearly. Don't put your heart or your hand to that portion. When we touch it for ourselves or save it for an emergency, what we're saying is, I want to have a little bit of a backup plan. You hear me? And God's saying, then you're missing it. The idea is, is that it's the first portion. It's non-negotiable, unconditional. It's sacred. It's holy. Set it aside and never put your own hand to it. He goes on to say in these same verses, verse uh, 14, look, I have not eaten of the tithe while I was mourning, nor removed any of it while I was unclean. What he's saying is, yeah, I had some hardship too. I had some difficulties too, but I never once considered or put my hand to the portion that was sacred or set aside for God. This is where faith comes in, that we believe that portion belongs to God, and we don't have the luxury of rewriting the narrative around that, of how we manage that portion. Because it's the best portion, so that puts God first in this area of our heart. The other day, I was in the living room, and I was spending some time just praying and talking to God, and Katie walked up and started talking to me and said, hey, hey, get my attention. What are you doing? Listen to me, you know. And I was kind of in my own world, and I said, well, I was just talking to God, and he comes first, so I don't know. (laughs) It didn't work out too well, I'll just tell you. But God wants that portion to belong to him in our heart. Tithe, tithing is different than giving. It is. The tithe is the first 10% that's holy and sacred to the Lord. It's his portion. Giving, or oftentimes referred to as offerings, are above and beyond the tithe. So really, Jesus kind of calls us to an even higher level here. Listen to this in Leviticus chapter 23, verse 22. The Lord says, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not wholly reap the center or the corners of your field when you reap, nor shall you gather any gleaning from your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the stranger. I am the Lord your God. So y'all know in these times they didn't have bank accounts and automatic deposit and you know tra- electronic transfer, right? Currency system was different. So they had their crops, and what they would do is that they would take the first fruits of the harvest off of the, off of the stalks. That would be their first fruit portion or the tithe portion. They would bring it in to the temple, and they would consecrate that to God. And then they would go back and they would trust the Lord for the remainder of the season to bring the rest of the harvest. There was no safety plan in the natural. It was trusting God fully for the rest. Then God would water the ground and keep the soil rich. He would bring the growth and they would have an abundant harvest. But even when they would have the harvest, after they brought the tithe, God said, leave the corners of the field standing so that the widow and the poor and the orphan and all those who are hurting and disenfranchised could come along and that they can freely glean for their needs 
the abundance that I've provided for you. Do you understand that? And that really is God's blessing plan for us, that we would be blessed to be a blessing. But we need the supernatural provision of God's economy flowing into our lives, which means we need to walk in obedience to his principles in order for that to happen. And God makes it very clear, honor me in this way, and you'll have more than enough for yourselves, and you'll have more than enough to give away so that you're a blessing and you can share my generosity and goodness with the rest of the world around you as a testimony. It's really a great system. But it is a system that can only be walked out by faith. To the natural mind, think about it. Well, how does it make sense? I'll give the first tenth and I'll have more. That's not logical, but it is spiritual. And God invites us to walk that out. And so I want to ask you one last question before we close here. Actually, let me read this. I'm sorry, let me read this verse. Uh, verse 10 in chapter 26 of Deuteronomy. He says, Now I bring the first of the ground which you, O Lord, have given me, and you shall set it down before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. So I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way, but our tithe, our portion, the portion that belongs to God that we return to him when we do that, it's actually considered an act of worship. Isn't that amazing? God says, when you honor me and you obey me, you're worshiping me. And I'm receiving it that way from you. Which means when we give, there's not a lament in our heart. There's actually a burst of excitement and celebration. Because we know what we're doing is worshiping and honoring God in this area of our lives. I love to give. Because I believe when we do, we're honoring and worshiping God in how we do it. So think with me for a second. I want you in your mind to think about who is someone that you know that is the biggest giver you know? Or let's say maybe the most generous person that you know. Picture them in your mind. I have mine. Now, I'm not sure who yours was. I kind of set you up for this. But mine is God. Because the Bible tells us that he loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus is referred to as the firstborn. Why do you think that is? It's the best portion. God gave the highest thing that could be given because he loved us that much. You see, our God is incredibly generous. He's so giving and he's so good. And we are called to reflect his nature and his character to the rest of the world around us. So I want you to think about that as you go today. A culture of generosity, a lifestyle of generosity and of giving. God says, will you test me and will you trust me? See what I will not do. If you begin to live a lifestyle of generosity and of giving, I promise you, it will run greed, selfishness out of your life. 
it will also run a poverty or lack mentality out of your life as well. Those are the two extreme on the other ends of this thing. But giving extravagantly is the only way to live. And it's incredibly joyful and freeing to know no matter what's happening in this crazy, everyday calamity world that we live in right now, I am living according to a different and superior economy. I get all this stuff, and I need to be very in tune to what's happening horizontally, but I'm just telling you, my anchor and stability comes from what happens vertically, and that kingdom is never running out, and that kingdom is never running dry, and that supply is never threatened in my life so long as I am honoring and trusting God in this area and in this way. Amen? Amen. Would you bow? Yeah, you can give God praise for that. Would you just bow your head and close your eyes? And I want to invite you today, before we go, if you are here and you don't know Christ, you've never received that gift that God wants to give, the free gift of grace that comes by receiving the sacrifice that Jesus made for you. You can invite him into your heart right now. Say, Lord, I give my life to you. Jesus, I believe that you suffered and died for me so that I could be saved. Would you forgive me of my sins? And I want all of us to pray this, just really to mean this, but think about it as you pray it so that you mean it. God, would you convict my heart in any area of my life, the tithe or anything else, Convict my heart where it would desire to align with what your word says. I want to obey you fully, God, that I might receive all that you have planned for me to receive. I want to be the person you've called me to be. I want to put you first in every area of my life. And I want my life to be a reflection of who you are. Any changes I need to make, any adjustments that need to be done, God, would you help me see them and would you give me the strength to make them? For my heart is to honor you. In Jesus' name. Everybody say.